This is Fred Venturini, and you're listening to The Booked Podcast, which is way better than being on fire. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're talking about tonight is Burnt Tongues, and it's an anthology edited by Chuck Polinick, Richard Thomas, and Dennis Widmere. Uh, we don't have uh, author bios for them, so uh, I guess I'm just going to jump right into the synopsis for the book. Transgressive fiction authors write stories some are afraid to tell. Stories with taboo subjects, unique voices, shocking images, nothing safe or dry. Burnt Tongues is a collection of transgressive stories selected by a rigorous nomination and vetting process and hand-selected by Chuck Polinick, author of Fight Club, as the best of the cult workshop, his official fan website. It's a really awkward sentence, but I think we all get it. These stories run the gamut from horrific and fantastic to humorous and touching, but each leaves a lasting impression. Some may say even a scar. God, that was difficult to read. You know, I don't know. You and I talked a little bit about transgressive fiction before we started recording, and I didn't, I didn't read the synopsis because it's for an anthology. <laughs> And uh, and it wasn't written by David James Keaton, so um, <laughs> I yeah I yeah taboo subjects, shocking images. I'm gonna have to agree with that um, by and large for for these stories. Yeah, I've always had a grudge with like weird um, genre naming things, but um, I guess overall I think that's pretty accurate to uh, to what what shows up in this book. Um, front and center in that, Chuck Polinick's name. Not a big surprise, right? No, not at all. Um, I did notice, and this is something we could talk about, and I wish I would have taken better notes, but I had to read this in PDF, so making notes on my uh, PDF, app, PDF app is not very easy. So I'll have um, maybe just a quote or two, but um, did you notice how many of these seem to be written in that, that kind of Polinick style? Uh, yeah, it wasn't lost on me. It seemed like... Um, for the few, especially the few people that um, I've read other stuff from, it seemed like it was kind of written to be to emulate the very Polonic feel. Yeah, which I think that a lot of people did very, very well. So again, I don't have notes on specific stories, but that's one thing I wanted to throw out there is that if you like Polonic's writing, some of this will seem structure-wise familiar to you. So yeah, because you, know, you go, oh, okay, so great, Polonic you know did this anthology what does that mean he picked some good stories but no you can you can hear the polonic in some of them which uh even in the synopsis it says this there was like a, a workshop and then um basically it was a very long drawn out process of of stories being chosen and like filtered down and the best given to polonic and then he did notes on them and chose like you know and it kind of went through that so I, the thing i'm thinking about now is like if you were an author and you especially were known for a very specific style and you were workshopping stories, would you would it count against... I, I would think it would count against people if they just emulated your style. Um, uh, so, I don't know. Like, I was thinking that it was weird that there were so many stories that were very Paul and Nicky feeling, but maybe that's uh, maybe that's just me. Well, let's look at it from a different, from a different perspective. So, let's say that you're Paul and Nick. And you have the style you write with, which you think is great. That's why you write it. Do you even notice it when somebody else does it? Or do you just go, hey, this is really good. There's something about this story I really like. <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe he doesn't realize that it's just like, oh, you know what? This is just cool. But it's because like it sounds a lot like him. Well, yeah. So, I don't know. All right. You ready to do that? Okay. So, for listeners who may have forgotten or may have not heard us review an anthology before, I should probably run down how we're going to do this, right? Yeah. Um, we have each picked three stories out of, there's a total of 20, I think. Mm-hmm. Sound right? Three stories that we feel are standout stories. So that might mean we think it's one of the best stories or there's something really special about the story or the way it's written or whatever. Uh, we each have three of those. We have yet to fail on um, successfully negotiating an anthology winner. And here's what that is. Collectively, um, we both agreed to one story that we think won this anthology. Now, the way that works is sometimes it's really, really easy, unanimous. Sometimes we kind of have to talk about it, but, you know, it's always a great story. So we'll have one of those for you. And for the first time ever, uh, I think we have the title winner. 
like a winner yes, for the best story title. title winner. Yeah. Yes, because there's one in here that I think is just brilliant um, because of the way it's written into the story, but just overall, I thought it was kind of great. So, um, so we're going to start with Rob telling us his first um, his first standout story from Burnt Tongues. Okay, the first story that I want to talk about is a story called Charlie by the author Chris Lewis Carter. Before I talk about the story, um, you may recognize that name because way back, we're talking in the double-digit number episodes, um, we reviewed Solar Side's Nova Parade Anthology, and his story, Chris Lewis Carter's story, uh, I think it was called Kill Switch or Kill Mm -hmm. Screen? Kill Screen? Yes. Kill Screen. Was the uh, anthology winner for that one, so it's no surprise that once we get more Chris Lewis Carter, I like that story as well. Story's called Charlie, and obviously when we're talking about these stories, it's going to just be a very brief uh, idea, because they're short stories. So Charlie essentially is a story about a guy who is like a veteran, veterinary um, assistant, or he works in a, in a vet kind of thing, and um, or an animal shelter. Pet, pet rescue, yep. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's closed for the night, but uh, someone comes banging on the door, um, obviously very desperate to get in. And it turns out they have a cat that was being attacked by some people. And so, against his better judgment, he lets the person in and, and to help out the cat. Um, but there's a weird twist with the appearance of the cat that brings up memories from the past. And um, it's just a really, really well-done story. Yeah, I have to uh, I have to agree with that. I really like that story. And it's, um, it's one of those where the events of today kind of lead to a recounting of a previous story. And you're kind of trying to figure out how that all ties together. And I just thought it was really, really well put together. So great job, Chris Lewis Carter. Thanks again for some good writing, Chris. What you got, Livius? All right. <clears throat> I took the easy way out. I went with the uh, the anthology opener, which is always supposed to be a very strong story. My understanding of how anthologies work. But, uh, man, I really like this story. It's called Live This Down by Neil um, Kralicki. K-R-O-L-I-C-K-I, Krilicki. It's about uh, three um, high school girls who kind of enter into a suicide pact um, doing this kind of weird thing that they read about Japanese people doing. Um, And uh, (laughs) it's just great because it's kind of like the backstory of why all three of these girls want to kill themselves. So it's kind of overall like four stories all compacted into the short space because you get the, the now of what's going on then kind of the flashbacks to the three terrible things that happened to these girls that uh led them down this path just i thought it was just brilliantly done uh, it was a little racist towards japanese people am i right rob <laughs> just because we touched on that from from the last episode that there's a little bit of uh anti-japanese uh, feelings amongst writers <laughs> um i don't actually think it was racist but there were some things in there that could be construed that way um, yeah, I just I really liked every aspect of this story. All four little, you know, mini, or three mini stories that kind of wrap up into the big one were all great. Obviously, we haven't gone to our sensitivity training yet, but it has been scheduled. Um, the <laughs> we'll leave it up to the listeners. If you think the line "easy peasy Japanesey" sounds at all racist, <laughs> um, let us know, and um, yeah, that that way we don't have to tell you it's really racist. We're just kind of giving you the the option to decide for yourselves. That's right. The opinions expressed here are those of the authors and not of the book podcast. Even if I say things, they are not the opinions of this podcast. That's right. So racism right out of the gate. We, were, we might just be a little more sensitive than usual, but uh, um, it, it, it was not lost. And Livius did say in the last episode that he was going to... Um, didn't you say you were going to gauge all books based on how racist they were versus this past one or something like that i I did i had said i was going to look for it in future books and lo and behold the first story of the next book right off the bat yep any rate racist (laughs) or not neil great story all right i guess i'm up huh Mm -hmm. let's talk about melody it's a story by michael devito jr um and it's going to be a little difficult to <laughs> uh, explain what happens in this story, but essentially it's about a man who... I, I don't want to go... I don't know if I'd say he's retarded or slow. Something wrong with the guy. He's a little bit on the not-so-smart side. Um, he's, he's simple, I guess, would be like the, the nicest way to put it. 
Um, and he gets a crush on someone who works at the grocery store that's across the street from where he lives. And um, not understanding kind of the... I don't know, the way that society works or that, you know, um, reciprocity <laughs> exists. Um, he gets a little, I think, um, over amorous. I will leave it vague like that. Yeah, the thing I really liked about that story, too, was that it... Um kind of how it rolls out that that he may uh that me he may have some disabilities is that you know you first read it and you're like oh that's a little weird but you don't i didn't really get it you know it was like a very nice slow rollout like it didn't hit you over the head that you know that there's something um not quite right with this guy um but the whole story unfolds really really nicely yep and racist against mentally retarded people you have lots of racism in this book all right here we go i'm gonna go down uh (laughs) <laughs> to another my other another one of my standout stories zombie whorehouse which um believe it or not is racist against zombies it's just going to be a theme here tonight so um yeah i uh zombie whorehouse daniel brault w daniel w brault it's more made-up names in this anthology this story takes place, uh, I'm assuming in the near future when zombies exist and there is a reporter who um, decides to go undercover into a zombie brothel to expose this as a thing. So this, this, the fact that it exists and the, the, the poor treatment of zombies that may come from something like running a zombie brothel. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of like exists as an urban legend is how I got the feel for it. Like people think they exist, but you know, it's more rumored than actual like truth, that type of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> it's just the whole thing is it's like it's really well thought out. Like there's a lot of things covered about like safety and etiquette if you're in a zombie brothel and just the whole story. There's there's little more to the story. I don't want to give away because I don't want to give away uh, and spoil the um, anthology ender. But uh, I really like this and probably the. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm kind of looking at the table of contents. I think this might be the most fantastical story like the most one. out there well the most um that's the word i'm looking for the the least realistic in that it actually like a lot of the majority of the rest of them use real life kind of right everything could happen in today and it would be yeah, yeah. so that one um i'm thinking was only included because in the anthology because of the quality because it doesn't really fit so much it does from the gross standpoint which we touched on a little bit at the top of the episode um because there's some some fairly gross things in in there does it is kind of gross and i will here's what here's what i'm going to give it credit for it does like a stephen graham jones level like um step in the uh, in the revolution of zombie storytelling by this is i'm like i'm reading this and i'm like why why have i never read a story that does this they put mouth guards on the zombies. Yeah. Mic drop. Yep. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. You're reading it and you're like, yep, why wouldn't you just do that? <laughs> so, so, yeah, lots of zombie, naked zombie hotties running around in that story, which didn't hurt its rating with me either. Not at all. There was a lot of nudity. And there I have a, a very strong a... imagination. <laughs> yes. So, anyway, the twist at the end was, was pretty good, too. I really, I really <laughs> liked the whole thing. It was good. It was good. I have to point out, Livius, that two of your standout stories are the bookends, which you te- so you tend to gravitate towards the bookended stories. Yeah, I um, well, and that's what I was saying. It's like kind of taking the easy way out. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think a lot of people put them there because they think they're the better story. So this is my validation of um, Richard Thomas and and Polinick and Woodmere like picking, you know, picking the right ones to start and finish this anthology with. Unlike me, I go for all the stuff in the middle. Yeah. And actually, one of my stories is almost dead center. Um, My third and final is going to be a little story called Gasoline by booked anthology author Fred Venturini. We're very proud of this story that we published in the booked anthology of his um, because it's just, it's an amazing story and the story of how we got it was really great. And um, I... I will take. I will. I'll always say that it's probably the best I've read from him. Um, 
even if begrudgingly something else sounds better or reads better. But um, I really dug this story, and Venturini it just proves he's just a really solid writer. Um, essentially, this story starts out in a bookstore, just kind of looking at stuff. It seems like he's kind of keeping to himself, and uh, the whole interaction is that someone notices him, and he's trying to hide scars that he has on his face, um, which kind of reveals that there's been some sort of tragic thing. And eventually the story kind of flashes back to his uh, teen years and how... Um, how the actual like damage happened and and the real meat of the story is what happened with this kid when he was um you know young leading up to this kind of scarring event and the in the lifetime of you know what happened after that and how it caught how it changed people's lives and everything um kind of a very sweeping timeline for such a small amount of space and i don't know venturini's style is very very good at establishing like he's a really good like kind of story builder and and this this is no no exception to that uh that venturini style and something i want to point out is that um if you've read bios from him or talked to him or i think even if you listen to uh our interviews uh, our interview that we did with him uh he's been on fire in the past and so when reading the part where where the you know the the burns happened and the and the the feelings of the aftermath of, of being a burn victim, it, knowing that had happened to him lent to me some authenticity to the the talking about being burn, burned. So that was kind of cool too. I totally didn't get that until you started talking about it, and I was like, "How did I not think of that when I was reading that story?" God damn it! That's because I have no life, and that's that's the type pay attention to those little details. Because <laughs> you have one of those big wall boards. Like you see on shows, like crime scene <laughs> investigation shows, that have like little red strings tied from one thing to another. Just, I think that's what you do. Yeah, the interior of my apartment just looks like a scene from that movie, uh, A Beautiful Mind, where he's just like, there's writing everywhere and papers all over the place. Yeah. There I also go. have imaginary friends. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to say about that. Your imaginary friends are Charlie and Melody. So. <laughs> Yes. Um, all right. My third and final standout story. Um, although as I look through the list, I see another one I really, really liked. But we have rules on this podcast. So um, my third and final story. Um, probably no surprise to the listeners of the show. God, I just love Amanda Gowan. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that she can do no wrong. Um, the line forms on the right by Amanda Gowan, um, also almost dead center in the in the book. Um, we recently reviewed Radium Girls, her collection. And you remember what I love most about that? Just all the batshit crazy love stories. The madness, yeah. This one, I'm sure, is just it's under you know contractor or whatever to burn tongues. But this would have fit perfectly in Radium Girls, don't you think? Yeah, or the book anthology. Wink, wink. Uh, yes, or the book anthology. Um, what can I say about this guy follows a woman into a bar and they kind of do that little um, flirty kind of thing and it winds up being a, just another just batshit crazy love story and I think she does that so well um, it, I just I don't even know what to say I guess I, I, I guess inside I'm a hopeless romantic but the romance has to be just nutty I think that's what it is I think that's what draws me to Gowan's writing like that tragic doomed to doomed to disaster type of love story. I love those types of things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that and the fact that, like I said, the characters are not always all there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they've got some kind of weird twist to them. So, um, but yeah, I really, really like the line forms on the right. Yeah, I dig it. Gowan did a really great job, and, and from her being on the podcast very recently, she said it's the first story she ever workshopped. I think it's a very solid kind of break breakout into into writing if that was the first story she workshopped them it doesn't mean it was the first one she wrote but i mean that's a really strong start like uh to 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 come out with this story i would have to agree and uh, i'm glad that it's being uh kind of honored here in this anthology all right usually we would talk about the anthology winner next but we have kind of a new and maybe a unique one-time category uh story title winner for the anthology so um (laughs) <laughs> Livius, Livius was kind of more enthusiastic about it than me, so you can talk about it a little bit. <laughs> nice, nice, nice way to support the new category. 
No, you just um, you were you were excited about it before I, I really realized the beauty of yeah. it. That's what I meant. Um, Jason M. Filin, Filin. This is why uh, we should only review stuff by people we know. Yeah, more made up names. Engines, O rings, and astronauts. Um, totally, I, I love the. T- I flip the page, and as I as I do, um, as we review anthologies, what I do is I open a Google Doc on my phone and. As I finish a story, I write a little one or two sentences on what the story was about as a reminder, and then I immediately write the the heading for the next one. And I wrote that, and I go, God, I really like that. And I get about halfway down the first page, and uh, the story takes place in the 80s, I believe. Yeah, I guess it would be the spatial, yeah, the Challenger blows up. And he's kind of referencing and setting up a timeline of when he was in elementary school. And he says that, you know, that, you know, they're watching this on the TV, which I, I remember doing. So it would have been like 85, I think, 86, maybe. It was 86. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, all of a sudden it was all engines, O-rings, and astronauts. And I thought that was great. I also kind of liked that imagery for what happens later in that story, which is basically, and just to, to kind of give the story its fair run, it's about a, it's about a, a, a school shooting. Um, and it's about what leads up to and causes that school shooting. But I really thought that was just a great title. Definitely. Um, uh, there's two things I want to talk about. First of all, there's one thing in this in the uh, the story that I really liked. I don't think it's going to spoil something, um, but I thought it was a really great. If, if I read it right, or maybe my imagination just filled in the gaps. But at one point, um, when the shooting's about to happen is when they're taking a picture of the class. Yep. And so the speculation is that there's a picture that exists somewhere where, like, um, you know, the class is reacting to the carnage that just started as the picture was being taken. Yep. Um, Do you know what that made me think of? The movie Snatch? Oh, I vaguely remember seeing that movie. So in the movie Snatch, um, at the very end of the movie, um, there's kind of like a double cross that happens, and some people are caught off guard, and there's a scene... (laughs) I just remember it very vividly because... um, of the there's like a there's a scene where like some people are getting shot and then the, there's a narration of one of the characters talking about the reactions people have when something unexpected happens and they you know they make a fucked up face and it like the 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 scene stops on everybody but you know Brad Pitt making a a, a fucked up face and that reveals that Brad Pitt knew what was going to happen so um, the the scene in the story kind of reminded me of that where. Not that someone was double crossing, but like that kind of like fucked up like kind of action. This thing scaring you makes you just react in a way that you can't control. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So uh, that's just I just tied that that image in the story to that to the what I, I really like that scene in the movie. Can we talk about the space shuttle Challenger a little bit? Sure. What you got? Uh, so. Not too long ago, within the last couple of weeks, I, I met up for to, to have dinner with my friend John, who I went to, to school with from third grade on. I've known him. And we hang out regularly, but uh, for some reason we were just talking about old shit. And the Challenger came up. And we were kind of going through our memory of it. And I kind of recalled what I remembered of, of that day and everything. And he started calling me out on shit. <laughs> And it was kind of like a. a it was an. It was exercise. like nobody got shot in that classroom. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but um, it was an exercise in seeing how unreliable memories are because my memory of that day when the Challenger, you know, exploded was I remember watching the video at the uh, house of the person who was my babysitter at the time. I was in, I think, third or fourth grade, something like that, fourth or fifth. Um. And then I also remember being at school, uh, and and so in my mind, I, I kind of timelined it as watching the video, seeing this crazy thing happen, and then going to school, and then hearing the school's reaction to it. Um, and then he's like, doesn't that mean that the shuttle would have had to taken off at like six in the morning or something? And I was like, well... And then we looked it up, and it turned out it was like, you know, in the middle of the day, like 11 a.m. or something like that. So... I was wrong about the timeline, so what must have happened was it happened during the day while we were at school. I saw the video later, and then the next day at school, or, or whatever, you know, like, it, it wasn't right. it wasn't timed how I thought. But here's the funny part. 
So it's like 1986, right? Mm-hmm. We're still we're still like knee deep in the Cold War, right? I believe so. Yes. So we're fighting communists. Mm-hmm. They're the enemy. They're going to nuke us, and the world's going to end. All that stuff. That's like the fear that I grew up with. And um, at my school, to uh, you know, as kind of like a, a memoriam or whatever for the the tragic thing that happened over the intercom. I remember this vividly. They played that um, John Lennon song, Imagine. Okay. Which is about communism and how great it would be if there was, like, no capitalism. Is that really about communism? Yeah. If you (laughs) you go into the lyrics, it's like, imagine no possessions, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all about how great the world would be if communism worked. (laughs) That's really interesting. I was waiting for you to go into something about Lenin, the Russian Lenin, you know? No. Vladimir Lenin or whatever his name is. (laughs) No, but it was just, it was so funny how obviously at the time I was like, oh, this is a touching song and I really, you know, this must be really sad. Having no feelings, I didn't feel anything, but um, in retrospect, thinking about it, I'm like, they really played that song to yeah and and the the space the space program specifically was like the biggest fuck you to the rest of the world for being like the the number one country is is like we're going into space you know jfk that was one of his big things so Mm -hmm. just having it all just having it all tied in with a john lennon song about communism was just pretty hilarious to me that um yeah i can see that i was thinking about when you were saying that i saw it at school live you know, or the teacher like turns off the TV. It's like, All right, kids. <laughs> oh no, seriously? Yeah, yeah. We had TV brought into our room. I think I was in seventh, eighth. I guess oh. it was eighty six. I would have been eighth grade. You know, but yeah. lots of uh, explaining and offers for counseling and stuff. And the rest of us were like, some shit just happened on TV. Big deal. Like that was our. You know, like we. we I don't remember being very affected by it at the <laughs> at that age. So, but yeah, it's uh. So maybe that's why I love the engines, O rings, and astronauts title i don't know <laughs> the counseling that came the free counseling that came with it yeah yeah so um we ready to talk about an anthology winner let's do it all right um this is where rob's gonna insert drum roll music and if he doesn't just imagine it uh, all on your own would you like to take the honors i will do that so uh this is one of those where i had a strong feeling uh early on that this was going to be the anthology winner this story lands kind of halfway through the book, and um, if the author happens to be listening, I hope they're like at the edge of their seat because they know where their story lands in the book. Or they probably just don't really care because it's just our two opinions. But um, that was like, you hit this point where you're reading it, and you're like, I, it's going to be tough to beat this, and I felt this about that story. And it's funny because Livius had a comment about it very early on and even went on social media about it. Um, because of how like uh, extreme his reaction was to it. And the story is Dietary by Brandon Teets. Brandon Teets uh, has somehow not been on the podcast, but uh, we've we reviewed his book, uh, Good Sex, Great Prayers. He was in Warmed and Bound. So we've had, you know, and we've talked about Fashion of the Christ, which he did. So no stranger to the podcast. And um, it looks like we'll be actually hosting a reading that he's doing in Chicago uh, will be the hosts and we'll be podcasting that reading. So a lot of stuff going on between us and Teats, but, uh, dude, man. dude, he might read dietary. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Then Teats, we could have it listening. for the podcast. It would be great. It would be yes. perfect. Yes. Read uh, some of dietary. Yeah. If you're listening now that you know, you're the anthology winner, you have to read dietary at that reading we're hosting. And if not, we'll just shame you during the reading. We're going to be like holding him hostage. Uh, you want to talk about the story a little bit? Yes. So what Rob had mentioned earlier, let me just, uh, long-time listeners will know that I spend all my lunches, five lunches a week at work reading. Lives lunches. Lives lunches. So lo and behold, I read a lot of this book on Lives Lunches. And of course, Dietary, although not the only story I read during lunch that was wildly inappropriate for mealtime, <laughs> definitely um, was just just terrible to read during lunch so it's about uh it's about um that kind of typical girl that everyone hates in high school the prom queen that's super bitch to everybody and and really stuck on herself well time has moved on 
and she's older and she has kind of a, you know, she has a, you know, she's a receptionist at a, a health clinic of some sort, doctor's office. And she's heavy set, but it's time for the class reunion. So she is desperate, desperate to um, slim down to her previous weight because there is going to be some type of, I don't know, prom court or whatever where she's going to be presented again, um, uh, you know, on the, the whatever, the anniversary of their graduation. Uh, <laughs> and this woman goes to great lengths to, uh, to, to try to get her former shape back. Extreme lengths, I'd say. This is one of those stories that I feel probably has that very Polynic feel to it, um, but in a way that's still very true to what I've read of Teats. So um, I don't feel like he was emulating, but it, it, maybe it was just a good fit for what the the workshop had going on. But damn, um, the thing, the reason I think it's the anthology winner personally is because there's any number of elements in it that would make it a good story, but there's the fact that multiple elements exist and the twists that happen um, kind of all pile together make it pretty complex for how big it is and it was just a really, really entertaining read. Can I, just because I said I only have a few quotes or things I want to mention, this is definitely one of them. (laughs) And now I feel bad because you're like, oh, it's so well written, it's so this and that, and then this is the quote I pull out of it because I don't think I'll ever really forget this. Because no matter how you dress it up, no one likes a chipped, bloody vagina. <laughs> truer words, man. Truer, truer words, words never spoken. That's very true. Yeah. 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 So, um, Teets, absolutely great job. Totally disgusting. Um, and, and the disgusting part is the um, the you know the different methods that the the protagonist uses, um, and then what some of those effects are. So it's just, ugh. and like I said, you know, you're, you're shoving a cheeseburger into your face as you're reading this. You kind of get to the yeah. end. And, you know, she has suffered some some significant health, you know, issues due to the extreme dieting. And it's just, it's a crazy story, but really well written. Um, and yeah, yeah, the anthology winner. Congratulations. Big ups. I actually just said big ups. Can you believe that? Yeah, in, in 2014, no less. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's our that's our standout stories. It doesn't mean that there's not other standout stories, uh, but those are the ones that uh, we really felt like we needed to to mention as great examples of, of you know from this book. But the word transgressive and um, the fact that it's as taboo subjects, shocking images. I think we need to just kind of run through some like topics that show up in the different stories. So. There's the suicide pact uh, in the first story. Mm-hmm. There's just some really interesting stuff that happens. There's Phil Jordan had a story where uh, a Vietnam vet is giving love advice to a kid, and he flashes back to to <laughs> wartime Sorry. where you know like rape and very horrible things are happening. So that was interesting. You got something to anything to mention? Um, no, I just it's, <laughs> that story was it's great. It's all right because this guy. He seems like he's a little bitter with the world, probably with with every right to be. We say flashes back, and he starts basically defending rape um, as he's offering, like you said, love advice to this you know adolescent boy. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's not funny. Not the common approach for uh, for a story, no. No, no, not at all. But it's definitely it, it was one of the ones that I think I could most like vividly picture the character and like his man. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. the the like this and this poor kid just being really confused because all he wants to know is like, how do I go about like kissing this girl? <laughs> this guy is kind of <laughs> off in his own in his own world, kind of ranting about things. So yeah, no great yeah. stuff there. Some other ones, um, bestiality, uh, which is. <sighs> If I if I could have expanded to three and a half, I, I would have added this in heavier petting by Brian, made up last name P Picos Pichos P I Pichos I don't know. You want to take a stab at this last name? Pichos like if it's a combination of pie and nachos. Oh, that's genius! Holy Forget shit. the story, dude. How do we make that happen? <laughs> we gotta make some Pichos. Now the thing is, is it like it has to be pie elements in the style of nachos, right? Right, so you'd have we'd have to take pie crust and cut it into like little triangles somehow, and then you would put like um, you know whatever. So you'd have like cherry pie chos, just cherries dripped all over the top with like some frosting or something on it. Do they put frosting on pie? If they don't, they should. 
fried steak doesn't go on. I mean, I guess it would kind of do like usually whipped cream on top and stuff. Oh, like or that. whipped cream. Oh, like, whipped cream. That's whipped perfect. Cream and stuff. Yeah. The problem's going to be getting the crust hard enough to be able to scoop it out without it just crumbling in your hands. Right. I mean, you it wouldn't stop me from crust. eating it, but pie yeah. chows. Pie chows, I think we're. Oh, yeah. So, um, thanks, uh, listeners, for listening to the final episode of Booked. <laughs> Rob and I are opening a Paicho's restaurant. <laughs> which, sadly, will just be more something you pick up at 7-Eleven, I think. Fine, I don't think yeah. we could actually pull off a whole franchise. It'll be some type of... Oh, we could do food trucks with Paicho's? Dude, people would line up for Paicho's in a food truck. Oh, man. Sometimes we just have the best ideas on this <laughs> on this podcast, so... Thanks for writing a bestiality story. That gave us the best food idea ever. <laughs> Can I tell you about, because another quote of mine is from this book. So the, the long and the short of the story is this guy, kind of first person, telling the story about his girlfriend's friend who, when she was younger, was maybe tricked into having sex with a dog. Yep. Um, but, but how she's kind of come to embrace this, this thing that happened. She owns and there's, it. Yeah, there's this great part where he's talking about people are calling her names, and names is kind of the repetitive thing. He talks about stripper names, and he gives this woman's name. If she was a stripper, it would be Redemption, because that's what she wants out of life from this incident. Um, so it says, none of that, uh, blah, blah, blah. None of her nicknames are accurate, meaning nicknames that other people give her. Um, none of them are specific the way kids are in titles like Stinky or Fatso or Dick Nose or Dog Fucker. People in the now use common <laughs> pejoratives in place of what we're all really thinking. They create a cushion of distance. They call her sicko, pervert, slut, that tramp. They flat out refuse to use their imagination. No one uses the B word. <laughs> that is my second favorite line in this, in this anthology. It's good. It's yeah. really good. Um, but yeah, that's uh, we were talking about kind of um, themes that come up throughout this. So yeah, there's um, there's a story where girls play a game where they carry things around in their vaginas. Uh, <laughs> there's a uh, uh, bulimia and oh, yeah, this one? yeah, yeah, definitely eating disorders comes up a lot. Uh, um, those are the big ones, really. Yeah, handicaps. Uh, yeah, there's, amputees, mm-hmm. uh, handicaps in general. Um, Lots of death, rape, recurring recurring uh, thing theme in the book. Rape you can't rape a zombie. You can't rape a zombie. That's all I'm saying. You can't rape a zombie. Yeah. Yeah. There's no will. You can't be unwilling, right? Exactly. They're just asking for it. Yeah. Animal abuse. Yeah. In multiple fashions, there's <laughs> bestiality and <laughs> other animal abuse. Yeah. Um, so. uh, impersonating people. Mm-hmm. Suicide, yeah, it's all over the place. Can I, can I, let's let's talk about. In the beginning, it said that um, um, from fantastic to humorous and touching. Which one of these stories was touching? All right, let's run down the list. Yep. <laughs> Suicide nope. pact. Nope. No, Charlie. No. 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 Nope. Mating calls. Uh, no. Nope. Melody. Uh, no. Melody, kind of. He yeah, just, I was just going to say that one. Yeah, a little bit. Well, he was touched. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, he was <laughs> touching himself a lot, too. Uh, fake uh, one? Nope. Phil Jordan's no. rape story? Nope. No. Uh, no. Vaginas? Nope. Carrying stuff in vaginas? No. No. Ah, a Gow- Gowan story. Oh, you it. know what? And oddly, yes, I did find that very touching. <laughs> it was a good story. Right. Especially go. the ending. That was actually pretty touching. For, for It was as touching as that story could get. Yes. Um, yeah, but that's it. Well, there you go. That's a qualifier anyway. They can say it was touching. That's right. All right. So. And pie shows. Pie shows. <laughs> God damn it. I can't wait to give up this podcast and get a truck. I'm on GoDaddy right now, registering piechos.com. And you know, that guy whose name is Piechos is going to be really angry that he didn't think of that <laughs> himself. It's like, or he's like, those motherfuckers all my life, people have been talking about how to make, make nachos like, taste like pie. <laughs> Oh, Shark Tank, here we come. It's good stuff. Right. I'm very excited about all this. All right, a couple more things real quickly about this anthology. Um, there is a uh, foreword by Chuck Palahniuk himself, in which he... Um, two very interesting things about this. Um, the, the first <laughs> one is, and I'm not going to go back and read it, but he talks about 
at different points in his life reading different things and reading things he didn't like at one point but now that he's older or he's learned more or whatever he kind of goes back to the same thing and, and falls in love with it and he gives a couple of examples um this goddamn genius because what he really just said was if you don't like these stories today you'll like them later they're all great even if you don't think they are right now and quite honestly, who's going to go back and follow up on this? I mean, there are a couple stories in here I'm sure that you, that you didn't like, right? Yeah. Yep. You're going to go back to this five years from now and read one of those stories and be like, well, I wonder if Polinick was right. I wonder if Chuck had it down. I'm going to go back and read, insert name of not great story here, and, you know. Wait, are you calling bullshit on Chuck Polinick? I No, I'm calling him a goddamn genius. All right, all right. <laughs> kind of wrote himself a get out of jail free card oh yeah dude because nobody's gonna go back and really there's a couple stories in here where i kind of was like nah, i didn't really get this i'm not putting this in the the google calendar for like five years from now once i have a little more life experience under my belt to go back and read that story and see if it's if if i love it are you that's never gonna happen unless no. like yeah uh unless for some reason money's involved like paul nick's like you know what here's a hundred bucks read those read that anthology again and tell me if i was right or not there you go, Polinick. You may want to you may want to keep up on the Pichos business because if it doesn't go well, we might be right back to doing this again in a week or two. That's right, Pichos. Yeah. Pichos. <laughs> I'll let you cover the other the other thing that was uh, important from the. So the anthology is called Burnt Tongues, um, and there is an explanation, kind of what Livius was just talking about. Uh, the whole like basically like in the. In the introduction, he says that burnt tongues are a way of saying uh, a burnt tongue is a way of saying something but saying it wrong, twisting it to slow down the reader, forcing the reader to read close, maybe read twice, not to skim along a surface of abstract images, shortcut adverbs, and cliches. Uh, so basically, the the burnt tongues uh, title basically means like we are making life difficult for you, and you have to wait for five years to like some of these stories, like Livius was just talking about. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's kind of like, I get it, like, they, they want to, to foster a deeper appreciation of literature, but it could also just mean, like, you know what, deal with our shit. Um, but, Burnt Tongues being the title, of course, uh, Livius and I were both paying extra attention to tongues in general, I think, for the, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the book, and there is only I one always, story. I always pay attention to tongues, just <laughs> overall. Uh, only one story in the entire book actually has someone burning their tongue, uh, and that's the story called Bike by Brian Howie. Um, you think that that he added that in with the thought in mind that uh, that it could it could get him on the roster? Listen, there's there's a there's some genius here. I'm thinking that they already had the name for this anthology, and, and he wrote it in, a la David James Keaton. <laughs> With Deadcore? With Deadcore. <laughs> and everything he's ever done? Yeah, exactly. Just because that guy, Howie, is smarter than than the other people who just really were like, oh, I wonder if my story's again. He's like, watch this shit. <laughs> I drank this coffee and it was way too hot. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in, I'm in this bitch. I'm in. And guess what? Yeah. He's in. Yeah. He made so it. So we got to give that guy. What if we read something else by him, right? Name sounds familiar, but I don't know why off the top of my head. Oh, we should probably find out. We could take a pause and check it out. Uh, he either works for Wells Fargo, or he's from Chicago, according to Google. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw him at the bank. He works for Wells Fargo, right? Yeah, that it's guy. It's gonna be I Brian Howie. No I don't. I don't even know how I would find this. How I would find this out? Maybe right. Solar Side or something. Put the number word. Well, put the word uh, writer after his name and see if anything pops up. Or author. Or Pichos. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Howie, you'll be working at a Pichos. <laughs> He's going to drive our Pichos food truck. Uh, let's see. Thunderdome. Maybe this is uh, oh. maybe from Thunderdome. That's one of the things that popped up under Brian Howie Pichos. <laughs> uh, oh, imagine uh, like a Thunderdome where like there's one serving of Pichos and two people fight over it to the death. And whoever wins gets the Pichos. Like Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man gets Pichos. <laughs> Is that how Thunderdome works? Yeah, I saw the movie when I was a kid, so I don't remember exactly, but I think that's what it was. I don't think I ever saw that movie. (laughs) 
I don't know why I'm ever surprised by you in movies. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I don't even know why I bother saying that anymore. <laughs> Bloody Knuckles. Uh, uh, let's see. Revolt Daily. Green Eyes. Hemlock. That's a quarterly. <laughs> is this good for the podcast? Me mumbling. <laughs> oh, the temptation uh, is high to leave it in. Oh, that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff with Thunderdome, which could very well be where we... Was he in LA1K? I don't see it, because he's another guy who's published something like every week for the <sighs> last like four years somewhere. Yeah, motherfucker. Oh, oh, oh. Apple game is available online at SolarSide. Uh, Nova Parade. He, his story, Tides, was in Nova Parade. Huh. Yeah. So was SolarSide. So was, he's... Uh... Book he's book buddies again with uh, Chris Lewis Carter. Chris Chris Lewis yep. Carter. Yep, yep, yep. All right, mystery solved. Still offered stands to drive our Pie Joe's food truck. Yep, yep. All right. Oh, I guess you know we should, probably should actually do a rating for the anthology, right? I think we always forget yeah. that when we're talking anthologies. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of did wrap ups already. Um, I, unless you want to do another wrap up, or no, we're good. Just go into the rating. All right, I'm gonna do. Um, 4.3 stars on this one. That's unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Because there's some really great stories in here. So it's better than a 4. And it can't be a 5 because the book anthology is a 5. It's true, yeah. And that's going to be almost impossible to beat. Yep. Almost. All right. Uh, Overall, yeah. Pretty decent book. I liked it. It's more than I just liked it, so I'm going to go 3.7 to offset Livius's 4.3. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. There are some really memorable things in this. There, there are some of the stories I talked about will be in my mind or will come up, recur again. Brandon Teets. I don't know how I feel about, like, all right, so thinking about it in retrospect, we've talked about the stories we liked, we talked about the idea of what a burnt tongue and everything is. How do you feel that Polinick's introduction fits in the style of the overall book? I know that might be unfair to ask, but think about it for a minute. His introduction is like the least transgressive thing I've ever re- read in my entire life. <laughs> That's the least <laughs> Sorry. He's basically like, Hey guys, check out these stories. I really dug them and everything. And you know what? Maybe you might not like them now, but someday I think you might. Like that's oh. basically what his introduction was. No, no, that's that's you bring up a good point, but I I don't know, you know, how does it fit? I think that um I don't know if it does, but I mean, I guess I could kind of see Polinick not making it about himself so much. You know, what I mean, because it's no. not about him. I right, mean, it, right. it's it's something that he was involved in, but uh, I don't know. That's interesting, though, that you say that. I didn't really think about it because I thought, oh, okay, here he is, kind of giving us the layout. This is this is what we did. This is how we came to these stories, and here's why you should read this. And done. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I don't know. Weird. I don't know. We should ask him, Polonik. Why weren't you more transgressive? Yeah, let's have a more transgressive intro, buddy. You expect more from the guy who wrote Fight Club. God. Invisible Monsters was so good. (laughs) I love them. We reviewed that. Well, the remix with uh, Caleb Ross. Yes, we did. God, I love that book. I'm so happy we got to to read it again in that fashion. It was good. All right. Getting all weepy and reminiscent. Oh, we also remember we reviewed Damned and nobody liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember that too. All right, just want to make sure that <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that there's little chance of Paul and listening to this. <laughs> <sighs> what if he? What if like that's so weird? What if like because of our connections with the people in the book, he was like, you know what? I'm gonna give this a listen. They've always been really good to my friends. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that would that would go really well for us. Yeah, something would happen, but you know what? Maybe he's like, you know what? I really into this Pinecho's idea. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, these guys are kind of assholes, but genius, brilliant. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to find one of those trucks. <sighs> what most, else do we have? 
we have some news that actually I'm very excited about, and this is something that like practically <laughs> almost as long as the podcast has existed, we've we've wanted to we've wanted this, even if we didn't really know we did. Um, David James Keaton has a book coming up called The Last Projector, and it's probably gotten more conversation on the podcast than almost anything else, mm-hmm. um, including first Pachos. first full length novel, first full length novel, yeah, first over over length novel. Yeah, for and and here's the cool thing is like the way it's being released, I really appreciate. So we have full cover image, cover art image available now. It was posted on Facebook earlier the day that we recorded this, um, so we could see front, spine, and back cover mm-hmm. um, of the hardcover book. It's going to be a hardcover release, which is amazing. That is so goddamn cool. You know, you know how I feel about paper books, right? Like. Every paper book I own is because it has a signature in it yep. at this point. Yeah. Um, I want this book, and I'm sure I'll get it signed at some point, but um, I don't care. I just don't care. I was so excited about the cover image, I told Keaton that I was totally going to copyright infringe him and use it as wall art. And I promptly said, you better already have the book anthology cover Yes, somewhere. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I don't believe I responded to that. But... No, you made a winky face. <laughs> oh, did I make the winky face? Yes. I have plans for, for one wall in one of the book studios to have some uh, some book art in it. And uh, the booked anthology mm-hmm. um, will be up there, as will be um, the cover of uh, David James Keaton's next first book. Next first book. Next first book. First full-length novel. Now, the downside of this whole announcement is when the book is going to be released. Halloween. 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 That's uh, only three months from now. BTW. LOL. (laughs) TTYL. Um, Which seems like a long way away, but I guess it's really not. But to me, since it's not in my hands right now, and like, well, A, if it was, I wouldn't be on this podcast. I'd be like, fuck, you were doing this another day. Um, But uh, it does feel like it's a long way away. Now, last I heard, this could come in around 600-plus pages, so we might need that amount of time. <laughs> we might need to do like what we did with 1Q84, where we like we, we fluffed up a, a fake episode ahead of it, just to like give us enough time to get through it. Exactly. And the interesting thing is, I mean, we might have to wait till after Halloween, because there could be... It could fall right in line with the zombie extravaganza spectacular. Are we bringing that back? I think we need to bring that back this year. Oh, what if we got Ted Nugent to come on? <laughs> he, he would spout off a bunch of nonsense about guns for half an hour, and it would be awesome. And That's we'd be making fun of him the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, so probably the first week in November we'll have a review of The Last Projector for you. I'm excited. Or, I'm very excited about it. a week before Halloween. Halloween adjacent. Let's put, let's put it yeah. that way. Because you know what? It would be nice. First of all, here's the thing we have to remember. It seems more and more with smaller presses that this stuff becomes available before it's technically supposed to. I think Burnt Tongues dropped before its actual release date, too. Yeah, Burnt Tongues actually is not out until like the beginning of August. <laughs> right, but yeah, but it's shipping. Like It's in people's hands already. Many, so, yeah, many people already have it. Yeah, so it's it's... We don't. We want to be. We want to be out ahead of this thing. So um, I, I can pretty much guarantee you that there will be a David James Keaton appearance right around the time of its release, too. Without question. So, um, but yeah. So that's that's our exciting stuff to talk about this week. That's that's all we've talked about all day. I think. So yeah, with with David a lot actually. <laughs> all right. Before we move on, I'm sorry. I've been holding on to this for for a little bit now. Breaking news here. Um, thank you to a common friend of uh, Rob and myself in front of this podcast, Stacy Wood, um, for bringing this news to our attention via Facebook. There is exciting Fifty Shades of Grey news. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> this is a goddamn first. This is a first. I have to imagine this is a first, right, Rob? Wait, listen to this. Is it a first that it's exciting news about Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> Someone posted the other day, I saw Fifty Shades of Grey wine. What? I, it was a bottle of wine called Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh God! Dude, what if they what if they cast James Spader as like the lead for Fifty Shades of Grey? Maybe I've used that joke before. Go on. I don't know, but I, I was just trying to think. Of, <laughs> James Spader makes everything better. 
maybe we should maybe we should give that second and third chance to the Fifty Shades of Grey. Read the other books, the the oh. whatever Fifty One Shades of Grey and whatever the other one's called. But, Shades of Greater. Yeah. yeah, but just imagine that it's James Spader from today, like old man James Spader. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty from Shades Blacklist. of Spader. Yeah, from Blacklist <laughs> as the as the guy that, from Blacklist. Yeah, that that the young hottie is is uh, is hooking up. He's like spanking all the time. I was gonna say spanking the shit out of, but that brings up a whole different weird imagery that I'm sure is in a Brandon Teat story somewhere. Oh, uh. so this is a trailer. That's let me let me get a timestamp on this. This trailer is 16 seconds long, which you think is really short for a trailer, right? Right. It's a trailer for the trailer. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. So it's 16 seconds. I can play it. <laughs> and and, and I, I can narrate this. So it's going to take me longer than 16 seconds. It starts with a heavy breathing and shows a man standing in a window and he's wearing gray slacks that hang nicely off his hips. Are you being <laughs> serious? Says, yeah, this is where he's wearing a gray suit. He's looking away from the camera. And then it says this Thursday which I thought was soon because we should have heard about this. Then it shows him sitting on a desk, like a close-up shot of his hand, like resting on the edge of a desk. This is the worldwide phenomenon. A shot of him putting his hand, like raising his hand up a woman's leg, like on her skirt, like under a table. And it says, comes to life. This all goes to black screen. It's like these little images. He's unlocking a door and that says 50 shades of gray. So I'm thinking, wow, how did we miss that probably one of the biggest movies, you know, of this year, probably, you know, it's coming out Thursday. How have I not seen this? Because there's a trailer. It says this Thursday. It says Fifty Shades of Grey. See the trailer Thursday. <laughs> and I think that the rest of the other logo, I think it's on the Today Show is going to be showing it on Today everywhere. I'm guessing it's the Today Show. So I just saw a trailer for a trailer. Oh, my God. I'm wondering if we missed a six-second teaser for the trailer for the trailer a couple weeks ago. The trailer, trailer, trailer? Yeah. Um, Take all those trailers and put them in a park. (laughs) Well, you know, the the actual, the one on Thursday, that trailer is going to be the double wide. It is. 32 seconds long. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to see, now I just want to see Fifty Shades of Spader. That's, that's, Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we got pie toast and hundred happy days, and if those don't work out, Fifty Shades of Spader. Fifty, sh- <laughs> 50 Shades of Spader is going to be number three. I have to go. I have to clear off an entire whiteboard just to start writing down all of our brilliant ideas. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go paint that fucking wall, the West Wall. <laughs> start that shit over again. Uh, that's awful. The trailer for the trailer, but I'm you know I'm gonna watch it. Yep. The movie, you mean, right? Uh. Oh, do we have to go review this movie? Yeah. Well, only if Amanda Gowan watches it with us. Oh, I was going to say it was that. Or if this is horror requests that we come on and talk about. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. Well, there's that, I guess. So um, uh, now (laughs) we're still working on what next week's episode is going to be. Are we (laughs) almost with that nailed down? Is that are we we're definite on this? Yeah, that's a big yeah. You know that I want to do this hardcore. Yes, yes. All right. So, um, <laughs> some time ago, we reviewed a book called Robo Apocalypse, which we didn't really like. It was like episode sixteen. It was really early. Yeah, yeah. So, but then that author came out with another book, and we thought, oh, maybe he listened to our podcast and picked up some pointers, and he wrote a book that I don't even remember reviewing. <laughs> so Robin <laughs> remind me. Which is insane because that's the episode in which you became a Holocaust denier. Rob goes, yeah, I think we should give him a third shot. And I go, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, Robo Apocalypse and Amped. And I'm sitting there thinking, Amped, Amped, Amped. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I kind of remember that. Oh, like that's wow. <laughs> so, so Rob thinks that it's a good idea that we review Robo Apocalypse 2 Electric Boogaloo next week so that's that's what we're doing yeah and it's called robo genesis so if there's not some sort of appearance by phil collins somewhere in the book i'm going to be very upset oh my god isn't genesis supposed to mean the beginning of something and this is a sequel this review's already terrible <laughs> wait a minute you're right all right so if it's all right if it's not a prequel and it doesn't have phil collins in it this is going to be i mean you're starting out at negative stars buddy this is going to be really oh. difficult to climb back up from 
I'm sure I should know this guy's name. What's his name? The guy who wrote this? Daniel H. Wilson. That's it, Daniel Wilson. So Daniel Wilson, um, you've got you've got a third shot, man. A third shot. Something James Patterson hasn't gotten. Something I'm sure Dean Koontz <laughs> isn't getting. I know Ann Rice might get a second chance because of a, a deal I may have worked out with Nikki Gurley. <laughs> You get a third shot book, at this, which buddy. Which is ridiculous, because there's like nine of those. Yeah, but this is the first one in many years. And there are, no, there are zero werewolves, I think. <laughs> and there are no angel assassins, because I read that book, too. Uh, which was terrible. Um, uh, that's it. I did watch Interview with a Vampire. Recently? No, like... Oh, like in 1991 when it came out? I don't know, whatever year that was. 95, maybe? I don't know. Robogenesis. Weren't they making a Robopocalypse movie? Wasn't that something that was like in development? Um, dude, they were working on that when I lived in Vermont. That should have been out like before World War Z and shit. I don't know uh-huh. what happened. Yeah, someone actually read the script that was based on the book. Steven Spielberg was like, what the fuck was I thinking? Oh. He was on the bath salts or something. Dude, speaking of reading, you know, I kind of want to read. And I don't even know what the book's called, but I, I went... So last year when Hemlock Grove hit Netflix, I started watching it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like binge-watched it through maybe a day or two, and I think I slept through parts of it. But I know I got to like episode <laughs> eight or nine, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll have to come back to this. And I didn't. But I was so excited that there was a second season that I've kind of binge-watched season one this week. I have one episode left to go, which I'm going to watch as soon as we're done with this. It's based on a book, and that book has to be fucking just goddamn nutty. Have you watched any <laughs> of Hemlock Grove? No, but now Netflix is really pushing it on me, like really hard. Like when it's like when I click on the like recommended for you, yep. there's a big banner at the top, and it's got the chick from X Men and some other dude who's like got a werewolf shadow by him or something. And I'm like, ooh, it's the chick from X Men. Maybe I want to check this out. <laughs> she does. She does play quite an interesting um, character, dude. That show is so crazy. So there's a werewolf, as as you kind of mentioned from the the, the picture. But there's like all kinds of weird people with like different kind of strange you know, powers or things about them. But um, it, it's pretty nutty. And I just was thinking about this because you know the beginning of every episode says based on a novel by some guy I never heard of. Um, and I was like, God, I can only imagine how nuts this book must be. So hmm. maybe we should go all retro and check it out. We've been talking about doing some kind of weird retro episode for a long time. You remember we had the idea to do something from like our youth and then like do the whole episode like like it was nineteen eighty five or ninety or whatever year we picked. That's true. We we could do that. We've had some bad ideas. The hot was, seat. The hot seat. What? I, I'm gonna edit that out. <laughs> there's that. Um, there's the Happy Days podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently nobody liked nobody liked that idea. One hundred uh, happy days that Rob owns the website. I'm gonna do something with that. Maybe it'll be a webcomic. There you go. That's gonna something's gonna come of that. You Olivius, you downloaded episode or, or mm. I, I obtained I obtained the entire first season yeah. just for that. There was a lot of momentum coming out of that that episode of booked, but uh the next There's day, been, Rob texts me. He's like, "Everybody hates the idea." Yeah. Then I got a lot of bad, bad reactions at work. But um, you know, Michael Gonzalez and Amanda Gowan and everything, and they were like, "That's an awesome idea. I want to be on that." Well, we may that that may still come. That may that may go directly to YouTube. Yeah, we'll see how uh, Pie chose. If it's going to be that or Pie chose, one of the two. One of the two is going to make us rich. Yeah. Or maybe we get rich on pie shows, and then with all the free time we have from not having a, a day job, we can we can do hundred happy days. Yeah, someone's got to make the pie shows, man. Oh fuck! That's all I'm saying. <sighs> Somebody's got to do it. I'll eat the pie shows. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there would be lots of pie shows eaten. Some French silk <laughs> pie shows. <gasps> all the different flavors: banana cream pie shows and key lime <laughs> pie shows. <laughs> Oh. This is the best idea we've collectively ever had. Oh, you know how much that guy hates us. What's that guy's <laughs> name? Pichos. <laughs> Brian. Brian Pichos. Mr. 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 Pichos. <laughs> God damn it. He wrote a bestiality oh. story. 
he did, and it was really great. It was actually a really good story. I have to give it. It was that. a very good story. I was very yeah. impressed by it. And the whole, the gist of that story at the end's like the guy's like, man, I'm pretty sure my girlfriend's sleeping with the dog too. <laughs> like it's just, yeah. Oh. And on top of it all, we're 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 making fun of his last name. Sorry, buddy. Nothing yeah. personal, but when you give us an idea like Pycho's, we can't back down from that. It's just not possible. He was another Liv's lunch disaster. I vividly remember the whole part about where he saw about the anatomy of like the dog penis and like the, the like swollen knot area. <laughs> <sighs> if if people oh, no. driving through the parking lot of Wendy's had any idea what I'm typically reading while I'm sitting there, I'm sure that I'm sure I could be arrested. Uh, well, at least it's no dick sick. It is no dick sick. You think anybody other than, than Frank Edler knows what we're talking about? You talked about it on an episode, so loyal listeners might know. There you go. Yeah, dick sick. Um, you can find that in Strange Fucking Stories, um, which is an anthology by Kevin Strange. Uh, that's a great name, too, to be able to name things. So. <laughs> what is um, you can get that for two ninety nine on your Kindle. Also, part of the new Kindle Unlimited, which we didn't talk about at all this episode, because um, uh, Amazon's getting enough of our money already. That's um, right. But if you want to read all just Frank Edler, he has a collection out called Scared Silly. It's a it's a tidy little thing at ninety pages, uh, but that's available for ninety nine cents for your Kindle and uh, uh, five thirty nine for a paperback. And you can get that by Wednesday, July twenty third, <laughs> according to Kindle, depending on when you're listening. Wow. But you can get it pretty quickly. It's available. <clears throat> yeah, if you get the ebook, it's like immediate. I believe it's almost immediate. It's actually before you click the button, it's actually already on your Kindle. It's like there a time travel thing they've invented now. I'm gonna I'm gonna warn you though, Frank Edler can't write anything that isn't fucking gross. Everything I've read from him has been absolutely gross. Yeah. But we love him anyway. Oh yeah, no. I'm not I wasn't saying that as a bad thing. I was saying that as a public service announcement, do not read Frank Edler while you're eating. <laughs> all right. Uh is that all we got? Next week you can look forward to a book about uh robotic versions of the the band Genesis. Right? Yes. That made me think of that video where they were all clay claymation. Oh yeah, it, during the Cold War, probably when there they you go. That space shuttle erupt, exploded or whatever, right? It it all comes back around, doesn't it? Clay Ronald Reagan or whatever. <laughs> Puppet Ronald <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> Till next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.